Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Well, hi everybody. This is Todd Helms with the, another episode of the Eastman's Wingman Podcast. And today I have on the one and only Ryan Bassham. Ryan, how's hey, it buddy. going, man? Dude, it's going great. Um, super stoked to be able to, to chat with you today. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot of irons in the fire, and we'll ch- we'll we'll talk about some of that stuff. But sure. um, man, what's life looking like for you these days? You know, I'm living the pretty standard COVID life. Um, it's <laughs> full of mass, uh, grumpy moms because uh, we can't really do things that we normally do with our kids. Canceling a lot of international trips. You know, um, pretty much what everybody else is dealing with. I would assume. Yeah, and so are you're still doing the I get ducks thing, right? No, so actually, um, I've actually had a lot of change. 2020 has been quite the year, and okay. uh, for us, I, it's been uh, primarily positive. I mean, we've uh, just like everybody else, you know, we've we faced some interesting trials with this year. But uh, I, uh, I'm, I've kind of gone off in a different direction, doing some different things. And I knew that I wasn't sure exactly what irons you still had in the fire and what irons you've taken out. You know, right. I mean, you're, you're a super busy guy. You in, in the past you've had, you know, I get ducks and your, your big game hunting um, consulting business. Right. You worked with Sitka for a long time. You worked with Drake for quite a while. Right. I mean, you've been in the industry a really long time and you've been around and you've seen a lot of things. You've seen a lot of change. And so, I mean, but 2020 kind of turned everything on its head for, like you said, for everybody. But for everyone, yeah. What does that look like for you? How has your life in the hunting world changed? What are you up to these days? Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, you know, from a career perspective, I'm still very much in the industry. I'm uh, kind of working now as a um, brand marketing consultant for several brands in the hunt space. Um, and even outside the hunt space. And that's kind of been something that I've chatted about with, with uh, other colleagues and friends over the years. And the timing just never felt right. And, and for a lot of people, it's like, man, do I really want to jump off the cliff and, and go for it like that and leave the cushy job? And um, opportunities kind of just came to, to this point. And I was like, you know, let's, let's give it a whirl. It's been fantastic. So I'm getting to work with a lot of fun brands. Um, not only in the waterfowl space, but in the big game and whitetail hunting spaces as, as well. And uh, still running our our, uh, our booking agency, although that looks a little bit different today since most international <laughs> travel is shut down. Um, but it's still going well. We just had a lot of clients shift their focuses more to uh, North American type of opportunities. Um, and then uh, kind of getting ready to do some other things too. I'll keep that a secret for now, but uh, okay. I've got some other okay. things in the works. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really great for our family and, um, you know, nobody can complain about, uh, having more family time and a little bit more time to hunt. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. Both of those are, both of those are good things. That is for sure. You know, no I, doubt. I definitely know I don't, I don't get to do as much stuff with my kids and my wife as I'd like. Um, my wife is, we're staring, uh, our first little boy here, God willing, the here the end of the the end of the month, first part of September. So our world's gonna get added by you know <laughs> another one, but um, it's awesome, man. Yeah, pretty excited about that, you know. But Heck yeah, twenty twenty, everything's been crazy, and 
we haven't got to do as much cool stuff as we'd like to, but you know, that's life. It happens. Sure. But, uh, yeah, that's right. You, you learn to roll with the punches. This has been that year. How do you overcome yeah. uh, trials and adversity and, you know, find the positive in it? You know, and that's one of the things I think that a lot of people, I think a lot of duck hunters, if they step back, a lot of waterfowlers, if right. we step back and we look at, okay, I don't get to go to Canada this year or, you know, my Nebraska turkey hunt got axed or we, and we step back from all of that. We're pretty fortunate as a group because yeah, we get to hunt, we get to hunt pretty much in our backyards for most of us. Totally. You know, that's one of the best things about waterfowl is that it's, it's accessible. You know, not everybody's got elk running around within, within 30 minutes of their house, you know, right. or exactly. they might, they might not have a, stellar piece of deer ground to go hunt you know they might have to go hunt something else but for almost everybody there's access to ducks and geese you know it was funny i had a buddy of mine a buddy of mine from the south um grew up in florida Mm -hmm. he was showing me some pictures he was out here doing some trout fishing with me this last week and he was showing me pictures of a hunt that he did that they were hunting divers in the surf down yeah. in and in and right in the salt and yeah. he's like dude i grew up down there growing up never even thought to do that he's like you'd look out there and see those redheads and and sure. uh, there were some cans in his picture and, and bluebills and some buffleheads. Right. i mean really some bucket list birds for a lot of guys you know totally and they're right there right off the, right off right out off the beach and he's like yeah man we just went down and Grab some brush that was piled and piled it up and sat there and threw out some decoys and we 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 shot the hell out of them, you know. <laughs> no, I think I, I agree with you 100%, man. I mean, and quite honestly, like when I was younger, that was one of the things that kind of why I gravitated to waterfowl hunting because I in my in my younger years I I saw that that as the the easiest opportunity for me to get to hunt as much as possible because I was living I grew up in Texas and so right. growing up in Texas it's like sure there's there's some really good hunting there it's different for for a lot of people in comparison um but you know there's there's plenty of public lakes and rivers and whatnot to go and and uh find some success on but for me i was like man like i'll never i'll never be able to lease land or own land or go pay to go on some of these trips i just i never thought that would ever be attainable for me right and so waterfowl hunting i was like well that's that's pretty attainable i can do that and so I gravitated towards that. And, 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 and now I've, I've been incredibly fortunate to, to travel and go and do things beyond my wildest imagination. Um, things I never, th- I thought I'd just read about in books and whatnot, but uh, you know, what I've learned as, as a waterfowl hunter is pretty much, you can, I don't care what state you live in, you have an opportunity to right. go out and probably find some waterfowl hunting. Now, you know, there's a few states there. Yeah, sure. It's going to be a little bit more difficult because of right. Uh, right. access or the fact that your state just flat out doesn't have a ton of ducks. Uh, right. But I have people in Arizona and New Mexico that still go out and get after it. And you don't think of those states as, as great duck hunting states because they're well, not. Well, they've got, right. But and they've got opportunities birds there. are there yeah. if, you, if you put in the effort yeah. to go out and find it. No, I completely agree. Sorry, I didn't mean, didn't mean to interrupt no, you there, but. I, when you said in Arizona, New Mexico, it got me thinking into it. You know, they have some specific birds down there that totally. to most people be like, that's a hen mallard, you know, and right. it's like, right. no, this is actually a model duck or, yep. <laughs> you know, they've got some bucket list birds that if you're, you know, if you're chasing 
if you're chasing, you got your bird board, you know, and you're chasing that 41, yeah. those 41. Yep. That, yeah, you're going to have to go some no doubt. unique no, places to get it done. Exactly. And, you know, I, uh, I'm a hundred percent a checklister, you know, I'm right. I think I'm sitting around 73, uh, waterfowl species worldwide. Oh, and I'm trying to get to a hundred and what most, but if you think about that, like most people, they sit there and they're like, Oh, well, yeah, I want to, I want to get the 41. Well, even if you break it down further, as far as North American birds, there's, there's actually a that. few more than, I mean, there's subspecies. I count right. subspecies. You absolutely should. They're different. Like you're talking about model ducks. Well, you know, there's Mexican mallards, there's your Gulf Coast modeled. You know, yeah. I consider the Florida model. I mean, the, the Gulf Coast model is, is sedentary primarily as, as well as the Florida model duck. It'll range back up into South Carolina a little bit. And then you got your black duck. I mean, on and on and on. And, and you can play the same game with Canada geese here in, oh, in North America. And so, I mean, there's actually, I mean, if, if you're wanting to get out and, and, and get a unique experience, it's it's pretty dang cool the amount of species we have here um, in the lower 48 and what a lot of guys too, they'll say, Oh, why, you know, I don't need to go checklist all those birds. And it's like, yeah, I, I used to, I used to think the same thing. And and for me, what it's turned into the, the reason I'm pushing so hard to get to a hundred is at the end of the day, I, I'm, I am an adventurer 100%. And I don't have to be successful. If, if I get to go and see a new place, learn something new about how and why they're hunting that species the way they are, that's just more tools I'm putting in my toolbox. So no matter where I go, I can be like, hey, you know, I remember that one time I was hunting in this place with these guys and they did this. I never would have thought to do that. I'm going to try it here and see if it's applicable. And and just the experience that you get from going out and, and chasing some of these these birds that you never thought of is is worth it, man. It's so much fun, so educating. And, you know, now I've got friends all over the world that um, I wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I highly recommend everybody look at everything that the lower 48 has to offer in the way species and identify those birds and, and go have some fun. No, it's, it's funny that you say that because it's, and I think it, and you could probably speak to this. I haven't, I haven't had the, the opportunities that, that you have had to, to, to travel and do some of that stuff. And I, so I kind of live, I look at you and, and I kind of, guys guys like me kind of live vicariously through guys like you sometimes and go man that's so cool there might be a little bit of jealousy <laughs> mixed in there but it is it's so cool you know when i see you going you know holding up Af egyptian geese you know what i mean and it's yeah. like that is cool i I've, I've been i have the same thing man i've been fascinated by waterfowl birds in general right. but waterfowl especially since i since i was very young i grew up right on the eastern end of the Michigan's Upper Peninsula, I grew up literally. Ah. I could I could paddle a canoe to Canada. I mean, it was that's literally so cool. right across the river that's in the awesome. bay. Well, that was that's a major funnel for waterfowl. Um, you know, it's totally. kind of we got birds there that you know the Atlantic Flyway was like we we'd see, if we got the right storms, you'd get birds that weren't from the Atlantic Flyway. Right, y'all get some old, get some old squaw come through there, right? So, boy, say that again. Y'all get old squaw that kind of come through there, don't yes. you? Yes, you know. And See, growing yeah. up, growing up, we didn't hunt a lot of divers. We we hunt them early, but then, you know, deer season in Michigan is it's like a it's like a <laughs> state holiday. You know, everything exactly. shut down. Everybody goes to deer camp. You know, <laughs> that opening day. You know, holy geez, you got to be in that deer. You better season, be there. You know? 
Oh man, right. you never know when that big buck's gonna come true. But anyway, <laughs> so that kind of ducks would take a little bit of a back seat. And quite right. honestly, every all of our we did a lot of puddle duck hunting in that area. We had we shot lots of teal early. We killed tons and tons of wood ducks. I don't know how many times I sat on little beaver floodings and would shoot my two Drake wood ducks and then sit there the rest of the night waiting for a black duck or a mallard or something. And I'll just see a thousand wood ducks come into this thing and not have, you know, and just sit there and watch the show, which was amazing. Totally. But so we didn't, by the time those, 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 those old squaw and some of those diving ducks would come down and you could hunt them on the river on the St. Mary's river there. There's a lot of those bays and stuff, but a lot of that stuff froze. Because that right. country, that's some serious winter country up there. Definitely is. And it usually sets in, starts sets in about Halloween, you know. And I, right. I remember a lot of Halloweens where it was really cold and it was, there was snow on the ground. Right. Um, right. And so within a week or two, yeah, you got deer season that starts at, on the 15th of November. But a lot of times that early November, you'd only have a couple, maybe another week after Halloween and stuff would start freezing. And so then right. if you wanted to keep hunting ducks, you'd have to move to the big water. Exactly. And we didn't have the ability, we didn't have the equipment to hunt the big water growing up, you know, right. um, dad was struggling to raise a family, you know, and, and mom and dad were working hard to get things done and a big decoy set up and a big boat was just not, not in the cards. So we right. got after what we could, you know, and that meant hunting fields. We hunted a lot of, a lot of of dry land and and stuff that would get some sheet water in it because of the rain yep. in, in the fall. Yep. So you'd get an oat field that had been harvested in you know middle August or early August, and the Canadas had picked over in late August and early September, and then they'd moved on, and the mallards had come down from Canada, and they'd be in, and it would have sheet water in it by then, and you're standing there in knee high rubber boots hunting mallards in six inches of water. You yeah. know, in an oat field and just clouds and clouds of birds. Oh yeah, I remember that, that my could be first some of the big... best hunting you can find, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And growing up there's weird, man. It was, it's kind of like Saskatchewan. It's it looks similar in the fact that it's pretty flat. Sure. It's brushy with sloughs all over the place, and there's kind of some farm country. And it, man, we had a lot of birds growing up. And you know, I kind of look back and and go back to what you were saying about. If you look hard, there's usually birds right in your backyard. Oh, yeah. No, there's and always a way so, to get at them. I mean, it's, right. it's a matter of find them. And then, you know, I, I like, I mean, don't doubt the scout. I like to watch plays oh, for man. several days if I if it's a new place and yep. learn how they're using it, what time of day they're using it, understanding all those components. You know, how do they come in differently if the wind's coming from a different direction than it did the day before? And, and yeah, you, you, uh, you figure out how to get your hide right and you go in there and, try and find some success yeah yeah well you're talking about lists um we kind of got off track there a little bit because no i was worries. talking about some of those crazy some of the crazy birds that we used to shoot we'd be you'd be doing field hunts and you'd shoot like the craziest stuff i remember shooting um i remember shooting ringnecks in a field yeah yeah you know and it's like where did these guys come from but they're out there hopping around waddling around with the mallards and the wood ducks, oh, yeah you know totally why well, it, I, I had a pond that I used to hunt in Texas, um, tank, whatever you want to call it. And I say a pond, this thing was probably like 10 acres in size. And sure. Um, honestly, it there was no reason why birds should be on it, but, and it, it I mean, they'd roost it is what they were doing. They were roosting right. at midday. Um, and that's 
pretty much how how the the whole thing was utilized. There wasn't a whole lot of great food on it or anything like that, but there was always a ton of birds, and we called it the erotic exotic. And <laughs> and, I, and I think that I think it's interesting because and where I'm going with this is because you know you're talking about the north end of the of the flyway that you right. grew up hunting in and how differentiated um, you know some of it could be with the species of birds working in an area that you typically wouldn't wouldn't find. I think what's interesting you know, as I've hunted up and down all the flyways is, is to see at, at what times of year, how those birds, depending on what part of their life cycle they're in, as far as breeding or, or they're focused on migrating and, 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 you know, storing up food storage for that and, and, and what have you, how they use different um, habitat um, to their benefit and their needs. And then how that changes as they migrate South. And then for some reason, I, I've, I've found this very typical, like you get into the, some of the Southern um the southern ends of each of those flyways and there are certain areas at certain times of the year we shot 16 different species of ducks off of this one pond wow and in the course of a season this wasn't all in one hunt but you know it just shows like how <laughs> how unique some areas can be and and when when what species they can offer there and some of the weird stuff you find and i mean never did we think we would shoot that many different species off one place and i think right. we hunted it I don't know, half a dozen times throughout the season. We didn't put a ton of pressure on it, but uh, it's crazy. You d you never know what's going to come into the decoys. That's what I love about waterfowl hunting. You truly, I mean, Montana is pretty, pretty cut and dry. You're going to shoot Canada geese and mallards for the most part, which is yep. great. Wyoming's the same way. Yep. But we, you, we get some different birds. You never early. know. Yeah. yeah but no, we're absolutely. Like, is that a quill? Is that a quill? No, yeah. no, it's not a quill. <laughs> Is that a snow? Is that snow mixed in with those cannons? Oh, yeah, I know. No, it. I know they're gonna do it. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I, there's a. Oh my gosh, man! We had one a couple of years ago. We found a big feed one morning with Canada's, and yeah. there were three little Ross's geese in there with with probably yeah. five hundred Canada's. <laughs> and I'm like, well, those suckers are easy to pick out when they come in because they're little and they're white. They yeah, stick out like a sore thumb, right? And I'm like, we are killing those all three of those Rossies. Well, <laughs> the, we had a funky wind that morning, and we started out, it was perfect. And it was one of those deals where as soon as the geese started to show, the wind switched. And yeah. so I got birds in the air, and I'm like, Well, I guess we're just gonna take what we got on this first on this first spin and then we'll change it up, you know, we'll move stuff around. And it the all three of those Rosses came in on the first spin when the wind was bad. And I killed one. <laughs> it was one of those deals where it was like they came in off my left shoulder. Right. And I went, guys, we gotta sit, we gotta take them on this pass because this is this is as good as it's gonna get with this wind. And we yeah. sat up and everybody's dumping Canada's, and I had one of those Rosses right in front of me, and it was like bang, flop. And then, you know, shot a cannon or two, and it, and it was like, there they are. And we're stoked because we just don't see a lot of those birds. You sure. Know? We're, no, you gotta, we're the same you as you are in Montana. Yeah, I mean, you and I don't live that far apart. Right. Um, as as west as the west goes, we're pretty – we're neighbors out here. But, exactly. Uh, exactly. Um, it's kind of the same birds, same flyways a little bit. But yep. it's just funny. You know, you get you get wrapped up in, in – the different birds, you know, for us here early, we get usually when season opens, we've still got you know, our season usually opens here in Wyoming the end of September, first part of October. Mm -hmm. So it's it's always tough to get out because sometimes you're you got a good big game tag and you're wrapped up and it's like sure 
uh, I want to leave this, you know, once every 10 years elk tag and go hunt ducks on opening day. But right. if I don't have any tags, yeah, I'm, I'm hunting ducks on opening day. Totally. There's, there's no doubt. Because we get a split that happens, then we get a shutdown, and then we right. get to start a second split. And I'm, you know, same as Montana, our hunting doesn't get good until the end of November, December, January. Right. You know, when we get and most and most people don't realize snow. that they're always like, oh, it's going to get good early. And then and then it'll be frozen up there and all those birds will be down here and they don't have right. much of a December, January season. Right. It's right. just not the case at all. We, no, no. The longer it goes, the long better season. it gets. We do. Yeah. We do. So I'm, you know, it's fun to get out and chase some of those early birds because there's birds mm-hmm. that we don't get to see the rest of the year because they're gone. You know, we get right. quite a few shovelers see lots of northern shovelers and they're not they're not those colored up hollywoods yeah you know but right. they're early season but they're still it's still cool you know we that's when we shoot our blue wing teal you know nice. um yeah. i'm sure we've probably we have so i don't know about montana but we have quite a few in the spring we have quite a few cinnamons that come through here on the reverse yeah. migration I've seen cinnamons here, but man, they don't hang around very long. No, they don't. They're, and they're they, in and out. And I see them more on the reverse migration, I feel like. Yes. I don't. Um, in the I, and I, and I wonder if that is, if part of that is they're not as colored up in the fall. They don't have that, that, that real great plumage in September sure. when they harder were. Harder to identify them, yeah. Yeah, harder to tell. But, but two with, with a lot of species and, and teal are, are one of those, they're, they're migrating on photo periods too. And so any right. given year, depending on the photo period, um, you know, I, I know right now I'm not paying a whole heck of a lot of attention to birds. I mean, I'm seeing Canada geese here, just our, our, our residents and right, it's right. fun to kind of watch them. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's some other stuff coming up that, that, uh, I'm going to get to first with, with pronghorn and elk season around the corner and right. towards the end of that, right before waterfowl season, I'll kind of switch gears, but, uh, I just don't pay too much attention. I, I know they're here. I see them on accident. Um, but man, they are gone, long gone by the time October rolls around. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're out. You know, we usually have yep. them for it's the same with doves. We have a dove season in Wyoming. It starts September first, and you got about one week of before we get our first September storm, <laughs> and then it's like those the morning doves are gone. You know, we still have the collared doves, the Eurasians that they you can shoot those year round in Wyoming. Sure, um, sure. There's no, there's no limit on them, but. Um, they we've had some great shoots on those but yeah those early ducks man if you get out and hunt some some i don't know some kind of some moist soil environments for some of the mm-hmm. stuff that the rivers have flooded and there's still backwaters right. in them or whatever you can have we've had some great shoots we really totally. really have and you get some totally different birds that you don't get to see the rest of the year you know our our green wingers will hang around all winter long on the river yeah. not in big numbers but you'll be sitting there and all of a sudden, this little bird will go zipping through your decoys, and you're like, <laughs> that was a green wing teal. And nobody's paying attention, you know? Right. He's right. usually about two feet off the water and just hauling. Zipping through. Yeah. yeah. But you never you never know. But you talk about a, a list, a bird on my list, and I am I have to admit, dude, I'm a little jealous of you this year <laughs> because you drew a tag that I have always wanted to draw. <laughs> You got a Finally. swan. You've Dude, got a thunder swan tag for Montana. Well, here here's the thing. I I've drawn two swan tags this year. I so know. Three days three days later, found I drew Utah, and my I know. wife drew her, her uh, Montana swan tag. Your wife so, drew it too. 
Yeah. So we had, go buy lottery we, tickets after this or what? We, we should have <laughs> like, cause here's, what's crazy. The first year we lived in Montana, my wife drew a swan tag and I was like, Oh, awesome. I'll probably draw one next year. Well, the next year rolls around nothing. Right. Oh, that's okay. I'll draw one the next year. Nothing. Finally year four, I draw a Montana tag and she's drawn two. But uh, no, we're we're looking forward to it, man. It's I've been on Swan Hunts before. It's a blast. It's a ton of fun. It's it's definitely different, but you know, it's uh, again, it's just that that unique outside the box opportunity that kind of gets you away from what your day to day typically is like as a waterfowl hunter, wherever you may be. So we're looking forward to it. It'll be a ton of fun. Oh man, I am super jealous, you know, and I know that's not <laughs> something much. That's something that I should be, but. That's a funny deal. You know, uh, Dan Picard here in the office is from yeah. Northwest Montana. And he's like, yeah, when you draw that tag, let me know. I, I, I know exactly where to go. I know exactly oh, yeah. what, what we need to do. But what are, you know, I, without getting into secret, I don't want a secret spot. But, you know, <laughs> what? what's your plans for this, man? Because those are, those are not something you get every year. And you kind of got to sure. make a plan around those. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Rich Buse down in, in Utah, um, he and I have talked a little bit. He also drew the Montana tag. Nice. And so he and my wife actually drew at the same time for Montana, was it three or four years ago as well? And so we've got a spot here. Um, I think, you know, more than anything, it, it almost turns into a big game hunt for right. birds. Right. right. And so we, we know what the migration pattern is. We, we know where they like to stop and stage. Um, there's, there's some great public access um, for those birds in, in Montana and Utah. And so um, we know about what time of the year they migrate through. We know where it's a matter of just, you know, waiting for those numbers to build up for the right opportunity to go and, and get after them. And um, usually late October, beginning of November is, is when that, that time is. And, um, you know, there's two ways to really kind of hunt them. I'm going to have, you know, a handful of swan decoys um, that I'm going to fabricate on my own and, and have to, to deploy. Um, they make some swan calls. Honestly, you can kind of make a sound that's good enough with your mouth and, sure. and get them to come in and do it. I was goofing around last season with some guys and <laughs> was just mouth calling at them. And sure enough, they freaking locked up and were trying to figure out how to come in and looking wow. for, you know, whatever was making the noise that they thought was a swan. So, so that's one way. And then, you know, if all else fails, um, it's a matter of just, you know, don't doubt the scout. Like I've said, like, know your right. wind and get in there and you can pass shoot them pretty easily too. That's how my wife ended up having to shoot hers. So, um, and it's, and it's really, it's interesting too, because you want to be picky, you get to shoot one and, and everybody wants to shoot a mature one. They're, they're great to eat, but, but additionally, most people keep it and, and mount it, which you should. Absolutely. And um, so you're sitting there looking, trying to pick out a nice mature bird um, typically. And, and so, you know, that's, that's uh, without divulging too much of, of exactly where we're going and all right. that. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of scouting around that time of year. There's a, you know, there's, there's a couple of different um, biologists we can call into and, and get updates on, on uh, daily number counts or weekly number counts. And we'll just kind of go from there and, and uh, get out there, put eyes on it put together a plan and go in and fill some tags yeah no that's so cool you know one of these years i'm gonna draw and i'm gonna be here my come with my me first dude, phone come call. up here i know just call me we and should we'll, we'll figure it out i'll keep eyes on it and we'll, we'll make it happen i'd love to you take know, you out i would yeah i'll bring a camera <laughs> and we will <laughs> film that because that Heck is something yeah. that that i would love to do and 
No, if you're serious, I would love to. I would love to tag along on that. That would be yeah. No, dude, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's chat about it some more and and figure some figure some plans out. And if I can get up there and get away, I will be there. That would be really super cool. Yeah, it'd be fun. But yeah, that's that's a hunt that I have. That's been a bucket list hunt of mine. You know, I look at the H41. You know, the the hunting 41 guys. Yeah and their bird board that they put out that's a cool super cool resource for hunters yeah it's awesome and i i get looking at that board and i'm kind of like <laughs> i've got oh man i've got 30 31 of the 41 checked off and i'm like there's a handful that i'm going you know i may never have the opportunity to go after those unless something happens and i'm able to actually sure. you know go and do that like Totally. You're talking about a big game hunt for for birds. <laughs> That's the way our sandhill cranes are here in Wyoming. You get yeah, one, yeah. you get a tag. Yeah, you but then you go down tag. to like the panhandle of Texas oh. and Oklahoma, and it's like, yeah, you shoot three a day. Dude, decoy them over stuffers. You know? Ah, yeah, exactly. And that's Which another so that's much another fun. dream hunt. Right, if, right. Anybody who hasn't done that hunt, take the time to go to that part of the country and hunt sandhill cranes over stuffers it's a blast yeah how many times have you done that i used to, i did it for like eight years in a row when i was living right. in texas like right when I, I was fortunate i didn't realize it was like a six-hour drive and so every year um you know me and a buddy or my father-in-law and i and a couple buddies would drive out there for four or five days and we would hunt sandhill cranes we'd hunt lessers um if the playa lakes were full we would hunt mallards and then in the afternoons we would chase pheasants around it was non-stop i mean you're hunting all day long it's it's so much fun i don't think a lot of guys think about texas that way you know i they think don't. a lot of, i think a lot of guys think texas they think whitetails they think exotics yeah. you know right. they're more in the big game realm maybe some quail you know and and, and yep. some, some west texas some bird hunting yeah but yeah. guys no, it's, it's, it's interesting that like, way. when you when you divide like so i'm from texas so i i that's probably the only reason why i uh understand texas the way i do because sure. i get it now that i live up you know in montana and i'm out in the west you know everyone's perception is like ah oh, it's just high fence freaking ranches like i i don't want to do it right but when you look at how it's all broken out as a state it's like well west texas is kind of its own ecosystem like there's there's very distinct regions across the state it's a big state so it's it's very different place to place right. and then the coastal waterfowl hunting is amazing it's so much stinking fun totally different than what you're going to experience out in West Texas and the Panhandle. And then where I grew up in Northeast Texas, um, where we still have some family property that uh, we used to farm on, you know, it's, it's very much different than the coastal or West Texas stuff you'll find. And it's a lot of buck brush. Um, I won't call it flooded timber, um, but it really right. badly wants to be flooded timber. But, you know, you hunt those, those backwater sloughs and, and some of the rivers and public lakes up there in the, in the Northeast part of the state. Um, you know, you can, you can get a little bit of everything. And so I was fortunate at a young age, like, you know, over the state of Texas, I, I could hunt a lot of different types of scenarios with the exception of geese. You have to, that's the only thing that was kind of tough. I didn't grow up hunting a lot of geese. Um, you know, it's still something I'm kind of learning and, and trying to figure out, but, but, uh, you could go out to West Texas and hunt lessers. And so I don't know, Texas is, is probably underrated as far as the, the waterfowl hunting opportunity. Um, there's more iconic places to go. Um, right, right. but, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a sleeper in my mind. Yeah. I think there's quite a few places around the country that are like that actually, but Texas definitely has that rep. Sure. You know, you said about flooded timber and it badly wants to be the reason I laughed <laughs> so hard is dude, 
three guys in a row now. I've got Ryan Bassham, Barton Ramsey, and Wade Shoemaker on this podcast, and they've all said the same thing about Floyd Timber. <laughs> They're like, nah. In fact, Wade Wade went so far as like, nah, that's just brush with water in it. It's, that's it all is. you're that's, hunting, you know? That's all it is. But it's right. awesome. The hunting can be fantastic. And, and those guys want so badly to be like, oh, yeah, no, we got flooded timber over here. And I'm like, guys, right. I, I grew up like, saying the same thing. That, that's that, Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> I know I did too. I did too. You know, we grew up hunting in the woods, hunting wood ducks on beaver ponds. And it's like, well, yeah, it's flooded timber. And it's like, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's you know, not. when you talk to guys that are really, they're like flooded timber aficionados, you know, yeah. they're, dude, it's, yeah, I just laugh because, because <laughs> Wade, Wade's just, oh my gosh, man. He's like, nah, bro. Nah, that ain't flooded timber. <laughs> it's not. I, I I wholeheartedly agree with uh, with Wade and Barton both. They're both good buddies of mine. And we've actually never had that conversation. And I didn't know that you had already talked to them about this. So that's pretty oh, funny dude. that we all are well, on the same page. With Wade. Yeah, it started with Wade. And we got talking about, you know, favorite places to hunt, yada, 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 and the, and the sure. timber. I knew he was going to say timber because that's what everybody from down there says, you know. And it's sure. like, okay, which that absolutely 100% legitimate. But yeah. it was so funny, and then it was Barton's turn, and we got talking about it. And now you, you know, it's just like <laughs> it's like a it's become a running theme for the wing for the Wingman podcast. You know, well, I, I feel like we have established then exactly what it is. It's it can be great, honey. I mean, honestly, like where I grew up, um, I it was world class. I mean, it was we would have days where there's four or five of us out there. And you're picking out your green heads and right. then, you know, looking for a pintail drake or wood, or, or wood duck drake for your kicker. I mean, it was that good. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's it was all buck brush and smart weed and maybe some tree lines surrounding the right. slough. Right. That uh, in our minds, we would have loved to say, oh, yeah, it's flooded timber. But but it can still be fantastic hunting. But I get it. I get it. I mean, um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to hunt in Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi and some true flooded timber. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not that. <laughs> no, no. It's when you do it, you know, and I've never hunted the true stuff, like you said, yeah. Arkansas and where those guys are hunting. But sure. yeah, it's like you can imagine, you know, it's what, amazing. What I mean, really it is like, you know, it's, and, it's it's worth it's worth going if you haven't hunted flooded timber true flooded timber um and that you know southern mississippi flyaway region um it's definitely something at least once in your life you should do as a waterfowl hunter just just so you know see so like it gets referenced so much like just go experience right. one time and it's not that hard good grief i mean I, w- I could drive there from montana it's not that big of a deal it takes a right. day to get there whatever right um but you know i, I think it's one of those ones that uh everybody should do at least once i get asked that a lot you know i get asked you know we've kind of been bouncing around a couple of different topics i get asked if you could go hunt anywhere where would you go and then i get asked if i could go hunt the the most amount of species in one hunt mm. in one particular location probably different from what they're used to experiencing where would you go and so for that one and, and for and for utah because i don't know if you how much you've hunted um the atlantic flyway but um, that that's the most affordable place. Get up there in the Northeast, uh-huh. um, hunt those New England states. You can go in and you can check eight, nine species of birds in three or four days. Right. And it's and it's a cool hunt. It's different. You've got the nostalgia because of the waterfowl hunting um, culture and history there. It's, right. it's, it's a different thing. It's, it's really cool. I'm planning on going back this season. It's been a couple or a few years, actually, since since I've hunted over there. And 
um, I try and I try and make it over there every three or four years or so. It's just a, a really cool area and 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 whatnot to hunt. And then um, you know, I, I for me, you always I feel like we always remember we always remember the the first the first major waterfowl hunting experience we had. Maybe it was the first time we went out, or we have whatever that memory is. Um, for me, it was hunting back there on our old family farm and, uh, hunting in that buckbrush slough, man. And people were always like, man, you've hunted all over. Like if you could go anywhere, where would you go? And, and unfortunately that, that, that's my answer. Like that's where I fell in love with waterfowl hunting right. is, is right. back there hunting in, you know, buckbrush sloughs. And, and so for, for me, that's, that's definitely what it would be. But if you were to go outside of that, um, you know, hunting the timber is a special place. I, I like hunting ducks more than I like hunting geese. That's no secret. Um, that's a fantastic hunt. And then, uh, if you like hunting geese, um, you know, there's, there's some, so some amazing hunts up in Canada that everybody should go and experience. And yeah, yep. you know, it, that's a great one. Um, I think one of the most, some of the most fun adventures I've had were, um, in the Bering Sea hunting King Eiders. That's, that's a trip. It's, it's not a high volume hunt, but it's, it's a pretty amazing experience. Um, Australia was, was really cool. They, they are a bunch of rednecks. Um, and they have all the different countries outside of the U S they do, they, they're the way they go about hunting ducks is most closely related to how most waterfowl hunters would do it. Because I think a, a, a big misconception with U S hunters is they're like, Oh yeah, people hunt ducks in other parts of the world. They probably do it just like we do, man. They don't do it anything like we do. Really? Um, they don't have the resources. They don't have they don't have an economy and an industry built around decoys and calls. Like sure, the, a lot sure. of that's foreign to them. They're like, whoa, what is this stuff? And so Australia is probably the most closely re- related in that regard. Um, but uh, man, it's I, I could go on and on and on. But but those are the ones that stick out in my mind as, as some of the more fun waterfowl experiences I've had, both here close to home and afar. I mean, you can't go wrong. No, that's so cool, man. It's that's one of the things you kind of led you kind of led into with that was, you know, I asked early on I about the I get ducks thing because that was something you'd done, and that's you've traveled mm-hmm. all over the place to hunt ducks and geese, obviously, sure. you know, and you, what you just alluded to, um, you know, you but you go back to that little that little hole in Texas, you know, you go back right. to that little remember slur. where you came from, exactly. You got to remember where you came from, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I, I think back to we shot ducks as a byproduct of geese when I, when I, when I was growing up, it was all about geese. Um, and I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure why that was. We, I mean, yeah, we had lots of them. Right. I remember when Michigan instituted their, their, um, resident hunt in their, we called it early goose season. It started, it started in September 1st, ran for 10 days or 15 days, depending on where in the state you were, but it was aimed at, controlling that resident giant Canada population. Right. Um, and I mean, that's what we, that's what we grew up doing. Um, and so our, it was backwards from the West, man. Our, our bird seasons <laughs> were in September and October and big game season, which was deer only, unless you got lucky right. with a bear tag right. um, was November. And so it was right. very, very different than what I'm, than what I do now. But, yeah, it was all about geese for us, and I could literally walk out my back door and walk into a number of any farmer's fields and right. either find a hot corner where they were trading back and forth and pass shoot them, mm-hmm. which I did a lot when I was a kid because I didn't have to set up decoys and you know anything. Or right. when, I had, when I had some buddies or my dad's help, 
we'd set out decoys and, and right. shoot, shoot Canada's. And that was, we had a goose camp, Ryan. That's I mean, awesome. it was, it That's was awesome. like, I love we had it. a group of dudes that started going north to hunt geese at around the turn of the century. And I'm talking like early 1900s, like probably 1910, 19, yeah. or after World War One, there was a group of dudes and then their sons fought in World War Two. Wow. Start, kept go kept it going and it kind of died out and then it would get going again and we continued that and there's still guys doing that still part of that group doing that to this day it was in an area of the state where it was kind of a resort area um right. that lasted through that drug through that time and there were some it's not farm country i mean this is like little dairy farms type type deal with a pasture and that's what these migrating geese would stop over on in these pastures and there was a big refuge to the north of there that's just, I don't know how many thousands of acres of nothing but swampland, basically. Right. And it was a big stopover for migrating Canada's out of, out of James Bay and Hudson Bay. And we, <laughs> a lot of so those, cool. dude, a lot of those, a lot of those birds that we were the first people they'd ever seen. And right. Yeah, exactly. They and would blast first, down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would blast down out of Canada on a stiff North wind in late September, mid, mid September, late September. Right. And they'd fly, you know, they might stop over someplace, but we were the first people probably that they saw. And it was evidenced in the fact that, you know, we had this big group of guys hunting this big pasture out of these hay bale blinds where you take yep. four hay bales and you put them together like a four leaf, you know, clover. Yep. Yep. And you sat either in the ed in the corners or in the inside. And we set up, you know, we had, everybody had shells. I remember when I first hunted with, with silhouettes, Everybody's like, oh, those aren't going to work. And, you know, he <laughs> loved them, you know. But right, uh, right. it was nuts, man, because that's what I cut my teeth doing. 12 years old out there, you know, shooting these big, big migrating hawkers. And you could kill two, you know. Right. And But then we'd have 20 guys out there spread out all around this big, big property. And we all stayed in this cabin or cabins. It was right. tradition. it was tradition, and it was something that I grew up as a kid. My dad would take off for you know four days every fall and be gone, and come back with a cooler full of geese and or goose breasts, and usually a bunch of grouse because they bird they would they would upland bird hunt in the afternoons. Mm -hmm. And dude, it was like that's for me that that's that version of that Texas slough for you. That's yeah. If I could go back and do one thing, it's like yeah, goose camp. That'd be Dude, and, that, and what I what I love about it is everybody has that story. I don't care what right. what age you started hunting waterfowl, everybody has that story where they have that one memory they can go back to where it all started, and and man, it, it fuels a fire that can can spread and go all sorts of cool places. Oh, um, you you ever read any Gene Hill? You know, I haven't. I sure have. Oh man, I should it's, write that down. Gene Hill. Gene Hill. I mean, he's okay. he's 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 long gone now. Yeah, but he is—he is the one between my dad's passion for bird hunting and then the goose camp and the tradition in, in my family. His books, man. I mean, he talks about all kinds of hunting, but he's definitely a wing shooter, definitely yeah. a wing shooter, bird hunter, and I mean upland, totally. waterfowl, you name it. But he was, dude. His stuff is phenomenal. He writes That's about awesome. dogs. Check it out. I mean. There he had a book called Mostly Tail Feathers, and he wrote a column. I'm gonna Google jockey this because I want to find out exactly where I'm at with this. But uh 
his books literally drove me for years and years and years about you know those stories he's right. got a pile of them. he's got a hunter's fireside book mostly tail feathers hill country i mean you you name it but he wrote for guns and ammo sports of field field and stream he wrote for a bunch of those different uh those big publications and awesome just you know um just crazy the amount of stuff that that guy did and how much of an impact his stories had on me it was kind of like Ah, that's so cool. So if you get a chance to check that out, but it, that, <laughs> no, that, it definitely the will. whole goose hunting thing. And that was kind of where that ties into that tradition. Like we talked about, you know, where you started, how you got your start. And mm-hmm. I don't know, man, it's, that's the best thing about waterfall. Like we said, is everybody's got that story. Everybody's got it in their backyard, you know, yep. for, for the most part, you know, I, for the most part. somebody's going to be like, no, I don't have it anywhere close to me. And it's like, well, I'm sorry. That sucks for you. But yeah, you know, you know, drive, other... drive times. You know, for that guy, drive times relative. I've driven. Right. I agree. Driven seven hours. I agree to go jump on a blind with buddies and shoot ducks. Same and thing. Then turned around and came straight back home. Like same thing, dude. I growing up that's in relative. It sat there in college. Got a phone call one night. You know, it's it's January in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We're done hunting except for coyotes. You know, and it's like <laughs> on to. Uh, I don't know, basically surviving a Siberian type winter. But, <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> you know, it was like, well, I got a phone call on a, I think it was a Friday afternoon. Yeah. And then we have a smoking hot field in the morning and <laughs> our clients just canceled. We've got an open pit, heaters, blah, blah, blah. You guys got to get down here. And it's like, that's awesome. 10 hours. Right. And we drove straight through the night, straight to this guy's <laughs> house, just in time to j- go out. It's January, so we don't need to be in the blind at daylight. You know, these birds right. are flying until noon. But went out for breakfast, went out, got everything set up, shot. I shot a handful of birds, you know. Yeah. But we didn't crush them by any stretch of the event. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't what you thought you were going to do. No, but, but we so had fun. a ball. We had an absolute riot, man. And we turned around and drove drove back to college. And it's like, we just spent 20 hours driving for about six hours of hunting. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and we were wiped out. But it's like, you're 21 years old. That's what you do. It's what you do. That would would hurt now at my age. Not that I'm that old, but yeah, that would hurt. (laughs) Yeah. It was funny. A buddy and I were talking about it the other day, about that same type thing. And, you know like yeah some of the stuff that i did in my 20s stuff like that like all night road trips to go hunt for five hours right i look at that now and go yeah no i'm gonna i've got a little bit extra stuff at my disposal now i'm gonna make a long weekend out of that trip yeah no for sure (laughs) i I mean i would i'm still gonna do it right i know what the consequences are now yep Yep. It is what it is. And your wife <laughs> looks at you and scratches her head and goes, what are you thinking? Yeah. And, and she hunts. So she gets I it. I know. So does mine. She still, she still has those moments where she's like, really? Yep. And I'm like, yeah, really. It's, yep. it's on. My wife does the same thing, man. She looks at me and just goes, what? <laughs> My, she hunts. She fishes. You know, she gets it. But there, it's like a different level of. Sure. I don't know. 
craziness with with me that's for sure but definitely yeah it's it's insane but <laughs> holy smokes man so what's your first hunt this fall what do you got coming up i mean i know you've got a lot of big game irons in the fire and, yeah uh, i'll save that for maybe a brian barney podcast you want to talk <laughs> to brian on elevated and talk about yeah big game. for sure no i'd love to join him on that i uh I've, yeah i've got i've got big game hunts coming up first and pretty significant ones but uh um, my plan actually uh, for waterfowl this season, it kind of keeps changing. I was, I was going to spend uh, quite a bit of time in Canada uh, and was thinking oh. about helping a buddy uh, guide up there just oh. as for fun. I, I, now that I'm more flexible um, in my, my current career um, change, it's, I, I've got the ability to do that. I can work anywhere. And so right. Um, right. I'll end up actually hunting a good bit here in Montana to kick it off since we doesn't look like we're going to have a Canada season I'll, I'll be here in montana um probably through the course of Mon or uh, october or so and then november i may venture down south and do what would be the early part of the season in um texas oklahoma and kansas um i've got some some whitetail deer hunts going on down there which i usually do a duck and buck type of sure, uh, hunt. Sure. so i'll do some waterfowl hunting down there um come back to montana i'll end up actually guiding part-time for an outfit here in montana if you haven't heard of trophies west yep check them out um super good guys have done a ton with eastman's on the big game side i'll actually Absolutely. be helping them guide some waterfowl hunts this winter cool um, super cool area to hunt out there in eastern montana so come see us come if you're looking for a great canada hunt um and want to see some really cool stuff uh come see us We'll put um, the we'll put the link to that in the description. Yeah, the podcast, so guys awesome. can check guys can check yeah, that out. I think totally. just go down, drop down in the description, and click that website and go and check that link totally. out. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Craig yeah. runs a great operation out there. Um, outside of that, um, I I might end up in California just because we've got some family stuff going on over there. So I'll, I'll definitely sneak out and and uh, hunt there. And then I'm gonna spend probably about a week or so out on the East Coast, middle of December. Um, you know, hunting Brant and divers and sea ducks and, and all that sort of a deal. Um, and then I tentatively was trying to get up to Alaska. I don't know if I'm going to get back to Alaska. I'm going to Alaska um, here in three weeks, but uh, obviously not for ducks. And then uh, that's probably going to be it, honestly. Um, bigger stuff. I'm, I'm definitely thinking about uh, trying. I was supposed to be in Peru this year and South Africa to hunt waterfowl. So I'm going to try and, and make those up and go next year on those. So that'll be cool. kind of right cool. after our regular season here but there will be no shortage of waterfowl hunting for me i can guarantee you that oh i forgot one i'm gonna go down i gotta go down to utah too um i'll be down in utah so you know i love hunting salt lake um, right right it'll be a diver specific hunt outside of trying to fill the swan tag cool um, but definitely going down there if we're lucky maybe get into some cinnamon teal and see what we can do but man i've got a lot of stuff going on my my fall is is jammed up so I'm, I'm pretty excited. It, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. It's like you work, work all spring, all summer, work like crazy. So you can just go hunt in the fall, you know, or get as much. Pretty, pretty as much. Can. I'm still, I'm still having, I mean, that's, that's the, what most people don't realize. Like per, I, I say this all the time. Perception's not reality. Sure. Like, you know, um, whatever I post, like, sure. That's the one fun thing that might've happened that day, but it's a grind. Like to be able to go and do all this stuff. I'm, I'm working 
on the road or in between hunts, like I'm getting up early to do emails before we go on a hunt sometimes. And then as right. soon as we get back, most guys are laying down to take a nap or eat breakfast. And I'm like jumping on the phone or hammering out emails or doing whatever it is I have to do to be able to live this lifestyle. And right. so it's, it's not, it's not all freaking rainbows and butterflies <laughs> and crap. It's, I, I have to work my rear end off to, to well, and I think, happen. I think you're but right. It's worth it. Right. I think you're right. I think a lot of folks see, they see the glitz, they see the glamour, they see all the dead birds, all the, all the cool places. What they don't see is the work that goes into being able to do that. Right. You know, I mean, yes, there's, you're very fortunate that you get to do what you, what, what you get to do, but there's a lot of hard work that goes into that too. You know, it's oh, not yeah. like, it's not like, Oh yeah, I just fell out of the sky and these hunts just surround <laughs> me, you know, it's, uh, I wish you, know, Sign you, me up you, for that. You, you make them happen. You make them happen. And so Sign I mean, me up for that. Yeah. Right. No, hats yeah. off, hats off to you, man, when it comes to that stuff, because when you make, when you make a passion like hunting or fishing or whatever it may be, when you make that your work, if you're not careful, it'll just become work and you'll start to resent it. And I think, I think you have a very solid grasp on that, that, Hey, I am blessed. I I get to do what I love every single day. And yes, it's work. It's a job, but I'm still doing my passion for a job every single day. And keeping that in focus, man, is it's not easy, but, but yeah, I mean, that's the only way you can do it other i mean i've seen guys in this industry get burned out on hunting of all things they, right. they got into the industry because they're like oh i love i like to hunt it's fun i love it and it's like do you really because you're about to find out working in this industry like especially depending on the brand you work for man you, you may not get to hunt as much as you think and then right. all of a sudden all these work is still work even though you're working in the industry it doesn't mean it's not stressful and not you know there's a lot of hard days yeah, um, there's no, a lot absolutely. of pressure to be successful. You still have to run a business mm-hmm. and be part of that business and function well within it. And so there's been guys I've seen get burned out on hunting, which what has brought them into the industry because, you know, at the end of the day, they've got a full-time job that they're getting a lot of negative and, you know, types of uh, feelings around something that's tying back into what brought them there in the first place. And right. you got to find the balance hundred percent. And I found, yeah. I found it, I personally found it to be a lot easier in uh, my current career path and so um it's it's been really really fun so it's uh it's something exciting for our family and we've got some other stuff coming out like um again it's all in development so i don't want to say too much but uh, we've got some big things in the work that i'm pretty stoked on and um i think a lot of that will be more public facing next year and we're just gonna enjoy it for what it is and see how long it lasts and and you know one thing that's not going to change is we're going to do a lot of fun stuff together as a family and and i'm going to hunt a lot and that's just how it's always been and hopefully how it will continue to be for us yeah no cool good for you that's absolutely that is awesome but oh excuse me got a little catch in my throat there sorry man (laughs) well i'm going to extend i'm going to extend the invite to you too you know on the swan thing i'm going to try to make that happen and get up there yeah that would be cool but we've got you know as you know we've got some stellar stellar dry land mallard stuff here on and off throughout the year if you guys have my attention (laughs) if you guys in montana don't hog them all but uh, man last year we didn't Mm. you guys didn't freeze up 
we didn't know dude yeah. it was dude the last two winners here have been mild yeah it's real it's it's been a little bit different game so. yep and so we haven't gotten you know and we're because i'm not that far south of you right we have not gotten those big those big feeds of mallards that we're accustomed to in november right. and december and january they haven't shown up and this last year i was telling i was telling jim Sobeer when he was on the podcast yeah that literally the last day of duck season i had permission to hunt the day before the last day the second to last day on this on this big feed we i probably found ten thousand mallards in this little tiny cornfield I mean, yeah. we, we weren't going to have to set out blinds. We were just going to throw out some spinners and field field decoys. And there was a super brushy fence row they had stacked square bales along. Right. And I'm like, we're just going to hunker down between that brushy fence and those bales. They're not going to see us in there. <laughs> I mean, it was tiny. This field was tiny. And they right. were, there must have been a ton of waste grain in there because those, they were just tornadoing down into this thing. But the problem was, the weather was so stinking nice that they were vampire ducks, man. They yeah. would feed all night long. Yeah. And then you, and what we ended up doing was hunting those ducks on the river. We, we scouted them out and figured out where, right. You know, they kind of spread out when they go back to roost during the day or yep. they're, they're back to loaf. They're kind right. of all up and down. And I, honestly, middle of the day, they'd kind of trade up and down the river. So you wanted to hunt middle of the day was, you know, first thing in the morning when they came back, and then maybe go grab breakfast and then go right. back out if you hadn't right. if you hadn't filled your limit because they'd kind of trade around. But we ended up shooting in the middle of the day, but I really wanted that dry land spin, you know, those big tornadoes of, of mallards. Because totally. it's but awesome. it wasn't gonna happen. And I could not get on that field for the last day of season. Right. I don't remember what the, why the landowner said no, but I could hunt it the day before. Well, the day before was like sixty-five degrees and sunny. The last <laughs> of day of duck, the last day of duck season was like five degrees and a bl and snow spitting uh. snow and i went out there no kidding we went out we i hunted in the morning and i shot a quick limit of greenheads in the morning right and i was like <laughs> all right i'm done but i gotta go check it out sure and grabbed a went and grabbed a burrito at, from the gas station and a cup of coffee and just went out and sat there by the edge of that field sure enough about 10 o'clock <laughs> in the morning it was just a tornado of mallards into that field and That's awesome. buddy and I sat there on the last day. Just, I mean, we were limited out. Enjoyed the, the show. Enjoyed, so we were good. Enjoyed the show. Yeah, we just sat and enjoyed the show, man. But if I can yeah. get something like that, I dude, I'm in. Like that, I'll call you. I, you know, I love hunting. I love hunting mallards in the timber. It's one of my favorites. But, but you cannot underestimate a good mallard field hunt. I mean, I, they, it you. can be spectacular. You, you let me know, buddy. I'm in. Yep, I'm there. Like, like I said, we grew up. We had that we had that right in our backyard, you know, I'd have right. a, a, an oat field that'd been picked and sure enough, here comes all these mallards hot out of Canada, right. you know, and they're back there flitting around in the sun, in the dark, feeding all night long under a full moon. I can hear them out my bedroom window, you know, right. like that just fueled it. And to this day, if I can get in a corn on a cornfield mallard hunt, Oh, absolutely. And you throw a little water in there if it's got a water hole out in the middle of it or something. You can stand and pick, um, standing corn. <laughs> oh yeah, even better. Oh, yeah, even better. But I love it. Yeah, I will definitely do that. But well, dude, I think we've covered this a little bit. I'm gonna let you go, but I've got one more question that I've been asking ev everybody. Okay. 
and I, I think I know what the answer is going to be, but you might surprise me. Okay. If you could only hunt one bird one way for the rest of your life, what's it going to be? Mallards and slough flooded timber type habitat. <laughs> yeah. Right back to that Texas hole. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I yep. mean, that's, that's, I mean, I, I, every time we, I talk about it, I just, it's like watching a playback reel of that yeah, entire right. morning. Like that's, that's what did it like that. I was majorly into deer hunting when, when I was growing up and was bow hunting by the age of 13. And, uh, that right there, man, that shifted gears hard. And it's, you know, I, I think responsible for the drive that I have and the passion I have today and what, how I've built my career. It's, it's, it was that moment. So that's, that, that's it. A hundred percent. Oh, that's cool. Yep. That's very cool. But well, dude, I know you're a busy, man. I really appreciate you jumping on here with me and uh, taking some time and, and visiting with us. And nice, buddy. I've had a great, I've had a great conversation. I've had a great time. This is, we've been on for an hour and it feels like 15 <laughs> minutes. So I love it. No, I, I, thanks for having me on. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to get on and chat. And, and likewise, I've enjoyed the conversation. I, I, I love talking waterfowl hunting. So Oh, I'm always cool. game for that. Very cool. No, I appreciate it. And until next time, man, I'll see what I can do about getting up there and chasing swans with you. I plan on it. I expect to see you here. All right, man. I'll All talk right. to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.